Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, as we started last week talking about the good neighbor and how Jesus talked very directly to a young religious leader about true religion, the kind of relationship with God that goes beyond religiosity. How many of you want a relationship with God instead of being a religious person? Isn't it interesting in our culture how we're categorized as religious? And the thought of being religious is really something which is foreign to a born-again Christian who is enjoying a relationship with a living God. I don't know of any growing Christian who's setting out to have a stronger religion. (laughs) But somehow the religious part just kind of comes with it, and that category, that tag comes with it. But the fact is, we're not committed to a religion. We're committed to a relationship. Jesus even called it abundant life. And so, which would you choose? Abundant life or being religious? Well, abundant life. And so Jesus is explaining this to this young expert of the law regarding what it means to have a true relationship. And here, through the parable that is known as the parable of the Good Samaritan, he explains that a man that was not respected by the Jewish leaders because of his nation and religion, that is Samaritans, who were deeply despised by the Jews, showed a greater attitude of godliness in the way he responded to a person's need than the religious leaders that they so revered. And so what does Jesus do? Really, He turns them upside down to realize that it's not about being the best at my religion that God cares about. It's about the heart and the attitude of the heart to love God and to love others. And so we pick up this story in Luke chapter 10. And the Scripture says that this man who was questioning Jesus about the law wanted to trip him up, wanted to confuse him, wanted to humiliate him before the crowd that was there with this deep question about what is the greatest commandment? What is most important in our religion? In verse 9, we see here that the heart of the young leader was revealed As the scripture simply says, but he, that is this young leader, wanted to justify himself. Wanted to justify himself. Now that's a pretty important phrase. And it's the nature of religion to provide a means for justification of the self, which may actually, actually interfere in our relationship with the living God. How many of you know that religion is a poor substitute for a relationship with God which is truly transforming? And if we hide under religion to try to justify ourselves, 
Eventually, God will expose what is in the heart and reveal what needs to change in order to have a true relationship. And so, Jesus asks the man, well, if you understand that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, then you understand that God wants something more than your religious practices. But then this young leader goes further and says, well, but who is my neighbor? Being very philosophical thinking he could justify himself, thinking that he could redefine neighbor and find an excuse or a justification for the way he was practicing this law. And then Jesus gives this wonderful, profound story of the Samaritan on the Jerusalem road to Jericho who saw a man in need and reached out and helped him. And let's begin reading here in the 30th verse. Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, a priest, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw it, passed by the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, a Samaritan. What did the Samaritan do? Well, as he traveled, he came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Underline that, he took pity. He felt sorry for him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. He put the man on his donkey, he took him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. And then he asks the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Obvious answer, huh? And so the young expert on the law, who, and some of the commentators say, he he so hated the Samaritans, he couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He said, oh, well, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus cuts right to the heart and says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I want you to see that this story begins with a man trying to justify himself. Jesus responding, as we read in verse 29. And then it ends with Christ's directive to go and And live this way. And so the challenge is not to argue about religion to the point of agreement. Jesus didn't want to continue the religious discussion. He wanted the man's life to change. And isn't it that true? How many of you have had a few religious arguments with God? 
Isn't that true? <laughs> but God. And we have our reasons. We even have scriptures sometimes. And good examples. And great logic. That God always points to our heart. And says, but now what are you going to do? If you're changed, if you're different, if I've convicted you about this, if I've shown you something that I want to change in your behavior. I don't want you to just agree with me on a religious level. I want to see a difference in the way that you live. And this is how the gospel transforms our lives. Have you noticed by now that whatever it is that God does in your heart when you come together for Bible study or worship or you have that encouraging word from a friend, whatever it is where you know that you had an encounter, a touch from God, that God says, that's not the end. The purpose of that is so that you'll be different. You'll be changed. You'll grow. You'll move forward. You will actually touch the lives of others in a way, in a way that will show them who I am, says God, and how much I love them and how much I want to make a difference in their lives. There's so much here in this parable of the Good Samaritan that the church has been teaching and talking and praying about this parable throughout the generations of the church. And it's interesting, when you read back to the early church fathers, the tendency was to take the parable as an allegory of Jesus coming as the Good Samaritan to rescue the man who was broken. And most of the early church fathers took that vein of interpretation and of preaching. But it was John Calvin who looked at the Scripture and said, no, this is more about the requirement of how we treat others in terms of our responsibility socially and how every person should see the value of other persons and to really reach out as the Good Samaritan did. Personally, I think they were all right (laughs) that the depth of this Scripture in terms of the allegory, the symbolic meaning of how Jesus came to save the lost, and the ethical responsibility that John Calvin began to preach and was really picked up by the Protestant movement to say, okay, how are we going to treat our brother? There's so much there. There's so much there. And the importance to realize that one of our biggest challenges in the way we exercise our faith, let me just say it straight, is who we like and who we don't like. Isn't it sad that Jesus pointed this out? Guess what? There are people that we naturally like and people that we naturally don't like. And Jesus said, it's no big deal to like the people that you like and to help them because they like you back and they help you back. I want you to help the people that you don't like, that you despise, that you are prejudiced against, that you're afraid of. Your enemies I want you to love, not just those who love you. That's a lot of gospel, huh? For all of us. How many of you can right away think of people that you like more than others? Of course. And how many of you lean towards showing kindness 
and concerned of the people that you like, of course. But, you know, this whole thing of, of prejudice, which is a preconceived idea of people, a generalization where we begin to categorize people, it's a huge problem in the human condition. We know it, don't we? And you look at you look at it and what the psychologists say that it's it's grounded in a kind of fear and self-preservation and the tribe of the people that are like you of protecting themselves, defending themselves. But it gets out of hand in the culture where it becomes a very destructive force where you dislike or are afraid of people that aren't like you and you can actually cause harm in the name of that kind of of tribe mentality where, well, they're not us. They're not like us. And how foolish and how silly it is. The two big sources of prejudice here are obvious. What are they? There is racial prejudice in the heart of these Jews. They were prejudiced against the Samaritans. They thought they were inferior. They detested their background and their nationality. And so they had a firm prejudice against. There was also religious prejudice because the Samaritans did not believe in God the same way that the Jews did. And they worshiped God in a way foreign to the Jews that the Jews greatly criticized. And so this combination of racial prejudice and religious prejudice is about the worst kind. You think of it, all that's happened in human history which has been destructive because of that kind of prejudice. And how every generation, the church must step up and identify prejudice for what it is and say, I am going to be an instrument of God's love to every one of God's children, of every background, of every belief, of every persuasion. I'm going to love because... God loves me. And that's the gospel that transforms a culture and a society. And you think about how silly most of our prejudices are. I was thinking recently about, hey, I grew up in Albuquerque in the valley. And that meant something when I was a kid. In fact, as a valley kid, uh, we kind of, well, we really didn't like the Heights kids. How many of you know about the valley and the heights. And so if you were a valley kid, I mean, you were just cool because you were a valley kid and you didn't want to have anything to do with the heights kids because we thought they were snobs. We thought they were... (laughs) We got some heights kids here. They're going to react here. We thought that they were overprivileged. We thought that they needed to be put in their place. And I grew up with that prejudice, and it was a silly prejudice until something happened that changed my whole perspective. I met Ginger Walhood, who was from the Heights. And I started to hang out with her and her friends. And then my friends were saying, you're dating a girl from Sandia? A Heights girl? I didn't know how to, what to think. Yeah. And it, listen, it wasn't about Valley and Heights. It was about someone that I met, that I began to care about, and a relationship developed 
And there's a lesson in that for all of us in terms of how one relationship can have a way of destroying preconceived ideas, prejudice. And so it goes. And so, what a silly thing. But think about how silly all of our prejudices are. And how we as Christians need to repent. Can I use the R word? (laughs) Repent. Repent for prejudice that interferes with the love of God that God wants to minister through us. Now, let me summarize all this and really get to the point. So what is the outcome of this message? What did Jesus really want this young religious leader to go and do? What specifically? Well, from the lesson of the Good Samaritan, we see three things. Now, this is important. This is really important. The first thing, did you notice that the Levite and the priest went around the other way? They looked away and they kind of wanted to pretend that that guy wasn't even there. And in their own minds, they justified, they rationalized. They thought, well, maybe he's dead or maybe I, he's really not hurt as bad as he looks. Maybe I can. But they looked away. Now, the first thing Jesus is saying us to do is based on this lesson, hear this, you need to really see the person in need. See them. See them. That is, look directly into the eye, into the heart of the person that's in need and get past the category of your prejudice. Until you see a real person in need, you're stuck. You can continue with your rationalizations. You can continue to pretend that you're not needed. And don't we do that all the time? Look the other way. Pretend. I'll never forget one time. God gave me a lesson. I was rushing to church because I was late. I was a preacher. I needed to get there on time. And wouldn't you know it, here is a a little old lady with a broken down car. And I'm looking at her and I'm saying, oh man, I really don't, uh, someone else is going to help her. And there I was through the intersection. I was thinking about it. I was feeling guilty. True story. A few blocks down the road, my car broke down. My engine quit. I pulled over to the side of the road and I was stuck. I didn't know what to do. And there I am waiting late for church. And time is passing, and then who but the little old lady drives up behind me and stops to help me. Same lady. And I'm just, oh, Lord, what a lesson. Now, do you believe that God does some of that in our lives? Oh, yeah. We could tell stories all day, right? The lesson. But I pretended that I really didn't see her. God made me look at her when she stopped to help me. (laughs) And I hope that little lady forgave me. (laughs) And I want to see her in heaven someday and I want to laugh with her. 
But maybe it was an angel. I don't know. But, so, you got to see. You got to see. You got to see. Number two. What did he do? He had, the Samaritan was the only one of the three who had pity or mercy. Second, number two, you got to feel. Let yourself feel what God wants you to feel for the person in need. If you've lost your capacity to feel, God can't use you. And forgive me, but there's this kind of, of indifferent professional attitude even among Christians where, yeah, they're even helping people, but they don't feel anything. They're just going through the motions. The Samaritan felt pity. He felt mercy. Listen, he really, genuinely cared. And that's, that's expensive. That's costly. It's going to cost you something if you care. It'll cost you nothing if you refuse to feel. But if you open your heart and let yourself care, it's going to cost you. Number three, you see the need, you feel compassion, and this is the most important. You do, you do what's right. You do what you're able to do. You do what you can. You use the resources that you have, not what you wish you had. And now you're really stuck. Because guess what? You can help. There's something you can do. God will show you what to do. And as you do it, Something happens. Let me just say, this is a dynamic of the kingdom in terms of the, the release of God's power in a life situation, which is truly, truly phenomenal. Do you want a life that's transformational? Then get to that place where you're able to do, and you'll see over and over again, God is going to be transforming you through the process of helping someone. It's an amazing thing, you know, and I mean, this is nothing new to us, but we look over the years over and over again, and how is it that the person who does is benefited, usually even more than the person who receives the gift or the help? How does that work? I don't know. But when I bless someone, I'm blessed. When I help someone, I'm helped. When I do something for someone, something better, greater happens to me. Now, you don't start out at the beginning with that in mind. Well, I'm going to help this person so that God will help me even more. You've heard that kind of preaching, haven't you? <laughs> but you're going to say, you get caught up in it because you see the need and you feel compassion. And there you are. And then before you know it, boom! The kingdom of God is released through a humble instrument like you. And you, you leave that situation. What happened? And I've shared with many of you situations where you come out of it and you did what God... What happened? It's a supernatural 
thing that happens as we do that. And so, um, there's a lot here. The, the, the Good Samaritan. And I, I've called it for this, this study together, uh, Good Neighbor. And I'm thinking, yeah, God wants us to be good neighbors. And what does that mean? That's, that's more than being the insurance man, right? You all know the commercials of the good neighbor. What is a good neighbor? The person who helps someone in need. And to live our lives that way, wow. And Jesus is saying, this is the greatest thing God wants for you to do. Is love Him and love others and be ready and be available. I I can't read this without feeling the need to repent. How about you? Of my selfishness. Of my lack of concern. Of how I, every day I walk by people who really need help and I just kind of have other priorities and just kind of let it go. And I think God wants us to realize that this is the important part, to be ready to respond and to help. What can God do through us individually? What God? What can God do through our church? What can God do in this community, in this culture, if we really take this seriously, just to help somebody do something? Lord, help us this morning. And Lord... <clears throat> I'm at the place where I don't know what else to say other than to ask for your help, O oh God, to Lord, to deal with our hearts in such a way that we might have faith, O oh God, to press through, that we might that we might live differently and boldly, and Lord, that we really we really might be available to step out of the pattern of of self serving sufficiency and to to do something costly in caring for uh, someone in need. Help us, O oh God, we pray. And Lord, I believe that you're speaking to hearts this morning and you want this, this dynamic, O oh God, to be our motivation, to transform our lives, transform our ministry. You want us as a church to step up and be ready in a greater way to be willing to touch people in a way that's even costly, oh God. Help us. Lord, we pray for Vacation Bible School again. And the children that will be right here gathered, oh God, and their needs which are so great, needs of these children and their families, oh God. Help us, oh God, to care. Help us to do something, Lord, not just, not just teach our religion and reinforce things that we think are important, but Lord, help us to touch lives that are in need and make a difference. In Jesus' name we pray. Please stand with me. We're going to uh, conclude the service. I'm going to ask uh, Sam to lead us in a song. If you're not sure of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ this morning and you'd like to be sure before you leave, don't hesitate. Come up. We want to talk with you and pray with you about that. And uh, you can you can be sure before you leave this morning. If there are needs in the body this morning, if you need a uh, prayer for healing or guidance or whatever it is, uh, a, a family need and you'd like prayer, don't hesitate to come up and uh, we'll be glad to pray with you. The altar is open, at least half of it is.
And uh, we encourage you to take some time uh, to pray this morning. Lord, we ask your blessing as we dismiss this morning. We are so grateful to be your children. Help us to go, uh, Lord, purposefully, intentionally, looking for uh, our, uh, neighbors that we can be good neighbors to. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sing, Sam, and we'll be dismissed. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Twas blind, but now I see. We're dismissed this morning. If you'd like to stay and pray, please do so. Thank you, Sam. Sing it again, or the next verse. Was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead.